drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Welcome to Drive-By Cinema, episode 7, with me, Rick, and my co-host, Paul. Hello, everybody. Hello there, everybody. Yes, episode 7. It's, it's almost getting to the point where I'm going to have to use maybe my feet to start counting these, I think. Long ago in ancient history, there was a time where if you wanted to see a movie... Yes. If you wanted to see a movie, Paul... Yep. You would have to go outside of your house. Down the stairs. To a special place where people gathered. Well, you would go to a place well, slow where down. You have to there were lots of seats. Drive your car, go to an out-of-town retail park. Or walk, possibly. Have you ever walked to an out-of-town retail park? But is that where you went? Have you ever walked? No, it's a dispiriting experience. No, it is. I mean, you inevitably cross a really murky <laughs> river with brown effluent. Where would we get to, Richard? You would find yourself in a place... Where they will sell you junk food for exorbitant prices, and you get to sit in a darkened room while they shine coloured lights at a white wall. Do you mean the movie house? As our podcast name suggests, the cinema. Ah, the multiplex, the good old-fashioned multiplex. Now, uh, that was how we used to watch, watch movies in aeons gone before us. Since the Rona happened, that has not been the way. Until now. Certainly for me, anyway. Until this week, where I was able to go and see, pretty much for the first time this year, Hollywood-released Blockbuster. Was that, was that a relief or a pleasure or, or a burden for you to have to go out into Cinemaland to watch a movie? I found it a burden, if I'm quite honest. Ah. It wasn't all that exciting. But you are, you are, a, uh, you are a city dweller, so presumably your multiplex wasn't in a retail park, was it? I can just walk into town and go to a multiplex in the city centre, yes. And is yeah. it in a traditional cinema building, like a nice nice building kind of thing? It's in a converted warehouse. Oh, so, warehouse. okay, so you, you got the retail park vibe going on there, yeah? You got the kind of converted from toy, like a converted Toys R Us vibe. Great. Well, no, it's like a, it's like a, a Victorian mall. Oh, well, that's quite nice. So, I mean, I didn't have either of those things, you know, because I'm in a small provincial seaside town. Oh, cue Morrissey lyric. And uh, there's like a little seaside movie movie house that I went to. And astonishingly cheap, £4.50 for the tickets. Ah, well, you're doing better than I am there, then. How much did you pay? 12 7 something. Ooh, that's reasonable, I think. £4.50 I thought was a steal. Now, when I got in there, there was only eight of us in the theatre. How many people were watching where you were, Richard? Yes, me too. I had about eight people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same. So it's obvious that we were all carefully socially distanced. Yes, like uh, the kissing couples were like uh, two seats apart, kind of thing. But this is the interesting thing: is that obviously, you know, this this attempt to get us back into the normal swing of things isn't particularly working. Because what did we go and what did we what did we head out to see this week, Richard? What's the name of the movie? Christopher Nolan's latest blockbuster, Tenet. Yeah, sure. So, latest blockbuster tenant, but I don't think you can call it a blockbuster if only eight people are in the movie theatre. <laughs> Paul, this was a. They gave him a budget of $200 million. Okay. He crashed a 747 he into did. a building. Yes, whereas he could just use CGI. Yeah, so there is all that. It was a massive budget. Paul. Yes. This was my selection. It was a quite exciting one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. It was a challenge, I think. And well done for going to see it. I think that after however many episodes and many more films, like 13 or 14 films that we've seen, 
Yeah. For the first time, after episode and episode of convivial agreement and discussion, yeah. we are going to have a blazing row about this movie. I think you're hoping we're going to have a blazing row. But in our content meeting before, you know, our pre-podcast content meeting, we've kind of laid out the blazing row that we would have had. Uh, and so it's not going to happen, I don't think. I'm, I'm fairly sure that we're not going to have a blazing row tonight. Do we have any um, admin to do from previous episodes? What mistakes did you make last time? None. At all. Other than agreeing to see this film. Well... Hold on, hold on. I mean, I, I, let's not... Let's hold not have, up. Let's have not too many podcast spoilers here. It wasn't a regret seeing this film. It's amazing special effects, but we'll get on to that in a second. No, so so I've got nothing more to say about anything, I don't think. Well, we should do a musical sting at this point. I don't know whether we have the craft to do that. That's what should happen, isn't it? Ba-ba-da-ba-ba-da-ba. Okay, so moving on to today, uh, <laughs> Tenet, Christopher Nolan. I don't think we've watched any Christopher Nolan movies before, have we? No, we sidestepped them. You gave me the choice, Interstellar being one of them. And because we've both seen it, and because you class Tenet, uh, no, you class Interstellar as one of those movies which portrays the monotony of space travel in excessive detail, I think we had uh, rejected it. As, as a candidate. We did, yeah. Okay. Uh, so Interstellar uh, was one of the movies that we said no to, uh, to watch together. But uh, in terms of interminable movies, this one, this new one, Tenet 20, 2020, uh, is uh, 145 or 150 minutes long, is it not? <clears throat> yeah. Um, two hours 30, I think. Yeah. Uh, but it's absolutely non-stop. You can't say that this dragged at any point. Well, this is that, you know, assuming you like the the dishes in a restaurant, generous helpings are probably more than welcome, aren't they? Yes. Uh, now, so, look, no secret that I really enjoyed this film. I was going to say, let's set, our, let our, let's set out our stall right now, Richard. You liked this movie, did you not? I loved it. I thought it was excellent. Yeah. Yeah, okay. How, how did you describe it in the uh, text message after you left the cinema? I said, well, I've been out of the country... For many years, my English is not as good as what it used to be. I don't have the words for what I want to say, but an approximation would be beyond bad. Beyond bad. I suppose I could take that two ways. Maybe you mean beyond bad in a good way. No, I don't think I meant that. And then I said I could begin to understand what coming off heroin must feel like. Withdrawal must feel like this film. An interminable (laughs) itch that won't go away. So those are my initial reactions, but I have to admit they have mellowed somewhat since. I was just... Uh, it was just the length of the movie that annoyed me at that point, I think. Getting out of there is like, my gosh, will it ever finish? And no, it hardly ever, ever finishes. It just goes on and on and on. It, was that because you needed to go to the, 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 the no, toilet? No, I'd only had like one big helping of cherry coke. I was pretty much okay. I thought it needed to be longer. I mean, I would have liked a series. I'd like a series of films because I, I didn't get to enjoy it enough. Right. I, I, <laughs> Did you like Inception, his other early movie? So this is it. I, I think it's worth talking about yeah. Christopher Nolan's yeah. other films because he's a filmmaker who has really set the tone of a lot of Hollywood stuff lately, right? He's been very influential. Inception seems to be the Christopher Nolan film that a lot of people rate highest and are most excited about. Yes. And it's had a big impact culturally. I'm not a massive fan of Inception, if I'm honest. I love the imagery, I love the visuals, 
I love the style. I think the idea is clever, but the story lacks a lot of punch for me. I don't, I don't know what it is, but the the idea of being in people's dreams makes it all seem like extra made up. It's like watching a film of a film or something. Right, yeah. And at one point, a film of a film of a film of a film. <laughs> okay, so but then we've got the trademark Nolan thing, which is complication upon complication. Is that not a trademark of his, would you say? Yeah, yeah. A convolution, yes. Convolution, thank you, yeah. He's always taking a paradox, a philosophical yes. idea, and he's working that into a story. But also he's he's twisting and teasing it. He's always playing with this idea, like it's silly putty, is he not? He likes to stretch things and then put them back together kind of thing. Would you not say that? In some movies more yeah. than others. In some movies more than others. Like, I think Memento is the first movie that, he came to prominence with, wasn't it? About a guy with um, anti-retrograde amnesia. I actually haven't seen make that. make new memories. Oh, wow. Interesting. It's definitely worth watching. Of course, after his rise to fame, Batman is what he's famous for, most famous for, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. I think off the back of Memento and people saw the craft that he put into yeah. that. and the, Also the prestige. I can't remember whether that came before or after Batman. Right. But yeah, Batman is also big. He gave us the Heath Ledger Joker that is... So well regarded, and rightly so, I think. Also, he was playing with the trolleybus thought experiments, which is pretty much what the Joker does at the end of one of those movies. Well, let's not talk about prestige, because I I think if I haven't heard of it, many of our listeners will not have heard of it either. Uh, Doubtless, it's probably a good watch. Would you recommend it, Rich? I like the prestige, yeah. It's also got David Bowie in it, playing Nikola Tesla. No way. (laughs) So, Richard, at this point in our text message, I'd just come out of this movie. I was a little frustrated with how long it was, and that's why I said those things that aren't possibly necessarily representative of my feelings towards the entire movie. And you said, oh, by the way, have you watched Primer? And I have watched Primer. What do you think the connections are with this and Primer? Both of these movies, Primer and Tenet, take the idea of time travel, which is not uncommon in film and television. You know, Doctor Who's been doing it for years. Back to the Future does it. But they do it all with this easy kind of... Uh, rather lackadaisical approach to the the physics of the whole thing, right? Whereas Primer is like a post-doctorate level uh, study in time travel physics depicted on film. And Tenet is like Primer with guns. Sure. Now then, my understanding of what any 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 representation of time travel would need to indicate that there would be time holes created by time travel. Or event holes, sorry to speak. Rather like you get in the game Portal, the PC game Portal. You know, you go through one hole and you create another back from where you came from kind of thing. Okay. In rough lay terms, is that is that not correct? What, you mean you have to go through a, a threshold in order to... I mean, I suppose so. Right, well, so I was, I was just thinking of the game Portal here. When the time travel first was sort of indicated in this movie, my original thought was to jump to Portal and that experience here, because I kind of felt that the plot holes that were opened up through time travel in this movie were not addressed in any kind of way. I mean, Bill and Ted and Back to the Future addressed perhaps some of the contradictions surrounding time travel, but in the decanting of the idea of time travel that occurred in this movie, none of that was addressed really, was it? The paradox of of time travel there was nothing seeming it was all solved here there were there were no there were no paradoxes or contradictions that arose i don't think were there oh meeting yourself that was the only thing they kind of mentioned i think in back to the future to take that example when he's on the verge of 
screwing his mum, whatever. He, and that's obviously going to cause him not to have had a, a father, and therefore him yes. and his siblings not to exist. You get that stupid scene where he's got a Polaroid and he's disappearing, and he doubles yeah. over in pain, <laughs> like as cute. if some yeah. cosmic yeah. force is erasing him from reality. And hey, okay, you say don't it's be cute, harsh but on it's. This. <laughs> But it, that's fantasy. It's not science fiction. It's make believe. Well, maybe they're saying that it couldn't possibly happen because of the grandfather paradox that we're talking about, which they mention in Tenet. Yes, but in Tenet, they do. Mention what they're trying this. to express is that everything is a loop. That like so that everything is sealed up. You know, they say over and over that you can't change what has happened. So what they're suggesting is that the events that unfold. There can't be that moment of being erased from the picture because everything is like perfectly joining up with itself, and it's just you're just going to go okay. through that. Well, that's nice, but here we get to the physics of it. They travel through time by reversing entropy, uh, do they not? Or inverting, as they call it. But what they mean is reverse. <clears throat> that's the explanation given by okay. the scientists. Like so stay with me a second, okay? So, so they're reversing entropy, and. and uh, entropy is reversible. You know, any fridge reverses entropy locally, uh, but within the universe itself, of course, entropy is generally seen to grow. So it, it, it's. I mean, okay, let's accept that if they can, if they can reverse the entire entropy of the universe, then time. Let's assume that time will travel backwards. Okay, I agree. Yeah, I agree that we can accept that as something that's you know a nice tenet to hold in a science fiction movie about time travel. Okay, but here's the problem: is that Entropy concerns information and the number of degrees of freedom of information. And information itself has been shown to, in order to be represented, must have a minimum mass and minimum energy. And unfortunately, what, what, what they're suggesting here is that the amount of information they'd have to reverse, the final level of entropy they'd have to reverse, ultimately, uh, entropy, the law of entropy would indicate that we move to a spread out, kind of highly distributed, the most distributed levels of energy are possible in any system, yeah? That would ultimately be near to infinite, that to reverse it would be impossible because the amount of information needed to represent the end of a system that you're looking to reverse would be too massive. And that's what I've read online in terms of criticism of this movie. <laughs> this is a scientific criticism of Tenet. Yes. He's got an MPhil in physics. I don't know, it's a U2, but, uh, but yeah, he, he was saying he didn't like this particular aspect of <clears throat> using entropy to justify the reversal yeah, of time. Yeah, I, I mean, that explanation is... I mean, it, it may sound good to the lay audience, but I think physicists... Well, this is my problem. Do you think the lay audience would even know what entropy is? This is my problem here. This is my first problem with the movie, is things that needed explaining didn't get explained by generals and a big computer screen. <laughs> I- you know, do you know what I'm talking about? Like... At this point in the movie, we need to cut to a general uh, pointing to a big kind of like NASA screen saying, oh, look at the entropy in this system here. You know, we need an explainer to be inserted into the movie in a sensitive way, but it needs to be an explainer for the audience. What what on earth is entropy? A fair criticism of this film is that the exposition and the important plot points are often delivered in very short sequences between big action moments. Well, and also through dialogue. Well done. Yeah, okay. So I, we've had this in other movies I think we've watched, where they decide to... Oh, I think that one where they all headed off together and die eventually, Europa Report. Pivotal aspects of the plot were were kind of delivered 
in third part by third party dialogue you know oh he just died did he oh yes he did he died outside kind of thing we don't get to see him dying and i think a lot of the exposition and explanation here is done the same kind of way it's two people talking about what they've decided the audience should just agree with him on and that's what i so for me it's not a criticism of the science in the movie it's more a question of is Christopher keeping people on board or is he effectively almost intentionally bamboozling them in the hope that that confusion will be a positive confusion? And, you know, a confusion that leads to admiration for, wow, Christopher's big ideas. That's where I kind of really fall out with with the sincerity of the, of the plot here. Your observation that we needed some kind of explainer. I, I did point out that there is a diagram in the movie, although... It's only in the background. <laughs> there is of one, yes. Shot. It's written on a whiteboard. And if you freeze frame it what and look it, at it. What is it of? Well, it's actually an explanation of Maxwell's demon, right? And so you know yes. Maxwell's demon is this idea that if you have, a say, two volumes with a trapdoor between them, very small trapdoor, and you put a smart demon on the trapdoor to open and close it, he can watch. And if he sees a fast-moving molecule coming from one side... He can open the trapdoor and let it through, and slow-moving molecules, he closes the trapdoor. And over time, that would mean that the fast-moving molecules would go through to the other volume, and fast-moving molecules mean warmer. So you'd get heat migrating from one side of this contraption to the other, simply because you've got an intelligent demon watching the molecules and opening the door or closing it. And this seems to break some thermodynamic ideas, of course, because that would mean that would mean the, the the wrong direction for the flow of heat. So that's the idea of Maxwell's demon, and you could draw it in a diagram by showing the mixed up state at the start, and then later on separated into hot and cold molecules on each side of the trapdoor. But on the board, they draw it flip yeah. reversed. They draw it starting out hot one side and cold the other, and then later right. with an arrow. They show it mixed up, which isn't how normal heat transfer works. So it's actually nothing particularly clever about that diagram, other than it's obviously the wrong direction for Maxwell's demon. So it implies like in reverse stuff. Um, and that's either a dumb mistake or a very clever nod to the fact that it's a time travel movie. And it may wow. very well be very clever because Christopher Nolan is all about doing this kind of thing. And I asked you when... Uh, when you were in a bad mood the other day, I asked you about you studying classics at school. Yes, so you, I said, don't reveal this. Reveal this in the podcast. Go on. What the hell has it got to do with tennis? Yeah. If you studied Latin, I'm wondering whether you ever studied any of the inscriptions found in Pompeii. No. Oh. No, I didn't. And I also asked you as well um, what you thought of Kenneth Branagh's character. And you seemed amazed that Kenneth Branagh was in this film. <laughs> Which made me think, maybe one day he'd seen the same. <laughs> what do you mean if he's aged a lot? Was he the Russian yes. villain? Yes. Oh, wow. Yes, okay. that's Kenneth Branagh. His accent okay. did really great me after a while. His son, Max, at one point gets sent off the boat to go to Herculaneum to look at the ruins of Pompeii. Earlier in the movie, right. his mum had said that that's something Max always wanted to do. Which is a detail that you may, may have pesty by in the movie. I'm going to blow your mind now. Because <laughs> Pompeii is the site of an inscription on one of the walls that I think is the first time it's seen. But it's actually seen lots of other times throughout antiquity. It's become sort of a classic. It's a regular inscription. It's called the Sator Square. 
Have you heard of it? Right. No. You, you didn't study it in classics. Have you got a pen and paper? I know you have a pen and paper because you keep going on about using notepads rather than iPads. Hey, steady on over there. I have no public <laughs> shaming of my my uh, recidivist tendencies. Go on. You've yes, got, I have a pen you've and got paper. a piece of paper, right? Okay, so write down yes. Sator, S-A-T-O-R, cross. And then immediately underneath yes. it, write the name Arepo, A-R-E-P-O. So that the letters line up in a column. Okay. And then write underneath that, again so the letters line up, tenet, T-E-N-E-T. Okay. And then write opera, O-P-E-R-A. Okay. And finally, write rotas, R-O-T-A-S. Okay. You've just written the Sator Square. It's an unusual combination of palindromic words in Latin. Yes. You can see... The words written up and down as well as left and, and right. You can. I suppose they're not strictly palindromic. Only tenet is. Now, they're in Latin, palindromic. Well, in Latin, sator, I think, means something to do with planting the seed or possibly the farmer. And it can have divine connotations as well. Right. That, if you recall, is the name of Kenneth Branagh's Russian character. He's called sator. Arepo. This is not known as a word in Latin. It's hapax logomenon if you know that word. Yes, yes, I think everybody knows that word. That's because of um, University Challenge, isn't it? But nobody really knows what a repo means. But it's suspected to be a name, uh, right. although there are some suggested meanings. And then uh, you've got the word tenant, which means faith or belief, or I think it can also mean to hold. Or to, I think in Latin it really more means to hold on to. Yes. Uh, and then you've got the word opera. Now, obviously, we know what opera is, but in Latin, I think it means like to, to work, to work hard or to struggle or something similar. Right. And finally, the word rotas, which I think is wheel or something, or, or related to wheels. These are all words of significance in Tenet, of course. Tenet being the name of the movie and the shadowy organisation that are hero. What does rotas mean? Wheel, yeah? Yeah. So it's a, it, it becomes a phrase in Latin. It's something along the lines of the farmer struggles to, you know, push the plough or plant the seed or do something similar. I see. And in Latin, wow. word ordering is quite flexible. Thank you for that. Thank you for that it, beginner's guide to Latin, Richard. In the film, Thomas Arepo is the forger who produces the painting that he they is, use yes. to try and get it in. Uh, and then, of course, you've got opera, where the the siege right at the beginning of the movie happens. And this movie starts yes. with yes. full-out action sequence. Um, in fact, that was released as a prologue. It was like Mission. It was like Mission Impossible without the unbelievable stunts. This and indeed, it becomes like a code word. I think Kenneth Branagh is about to kill JDW, the protagonist, until he mentions the word opera when he's at the dinner, doesn't he? I see. The final word Rotas appears in the film because that is the name of the security firm who operate the Freeport building that they break into. In the 747 heist. Yes, okay, okay. Right, okay. So, what we're saying is Christopher Nolan has too much free time. You thought, is that your point, Richard? One interpretation I quite like that I've thought of is perhaps what he's trying to say, apart from obviously being clever, clever, is that these people in the future, maybe the good guys, maybe the bad guys, it's they who have sent this inscription back oh, through, through the ages. time using their inversion. So that it winds up in Pompeii, ultimately. To be destroyed by a volcano. Mm. 
<laughs> it wasn't, was it? That's the whole thing. And they know, they know because they're in the future. Well, it's I'm, one I'm, of the cool things about the movie I noticed. I'm, I'm happy to I'm happy to suspend disbelief. That I mean, that's a nice detail. Uh, so if you like that kind of stuff, if you like uh, X, this kind of this kind of stuff, then it's definitely a go and watch. It's very complete in the kind of nice little neat ideas it presents. Okay, but I think at this point, Richard, we really do need a very quick plot synopsis because we've mentioned lots of things that maybe people aren't going to follow until they go see the movie. Okay, so it starts at a, at a siege at an opera house in Russia, and then we we head off. Well, our hero is a CIA agent called the protagonist, and he never gets another name. Yeah. One of the cute things about this movie, right, I think, is the way you follow him through his building up of his understanding of what the hell is going on. Quite like Memento in a way, you don't right. know what's going on for large parts of this movie. And you slowly... Well, maybe you don't know until the end or even perhaps perhaps the past the end of this movie. Uh, for me, anyway, I, I was kind yeah. of with him. I wasn't, I wasn't enlightened for a long time about what was going on in this movie. I love that. I love that. It's a process of learning. <laughs> so, what but do also, you think about? Also, a lot of guns. What do you think about the protagonist? Do you think that he did his James Bond kind of cameo well or not? It's fair to say a fair criticism is that the characters are not particularly well rounded. We don't have very no. much time to get to know them. We're straight into the action. I mean, he is supposed to be a secret agent. You're not supposed to know very much about him. We don't even know his name. Uh, we do know something about him. He really likes to work out. If you put him within 10 spaces of a ladder, he's going to do pull-ups on it. <laughs> and weirdly, dangerously, he'll climb halfway up the ladder in some cases and do it. I mean, you can do pull-ups perfectly well on the lower rungs. You don't risk breaking your leg if you get fatigued, do you? That worried me. But right, okay. So there's a siege at the Opera House. It's really not clear who... Who's sieging what? And uh, if you if you if you're going to the opera just for conformity's sake, just to go to where the pretty people go, it must be a relief to be put to sleep instead of having to sit through all of Tchaikovsky. So the, the, those aspects too, <laughs> the opening uh, sequence. I'm not sure what happens after that. They go, they crash an airplane to something called the Pentagon, but it's not really a, it's not the Hold US on. Pentagon. It's what is it? No, yeah. Okay, so after the after the opera siege, he gets recruited by this shadowy organisation. I see. Um, because yeah. he passes a test That's in which he tries to take his suicide pill rather than give up his accomplices. And then he is informed about this weird thing, this phenomena they've noticed about objects being reversed in time. And they give him a gun. You've seen this in the trailers, probably. And he points it at a wall with bullet holes and a bullet jumps out and comes into the so, gun. And so maybe the first the and magazine. last example of clear exposition in the movie. Let's continue. Yeah. <laughs> now, it turns out that there's a war in the future that these objects are coming back from. He tries to trace where this ammunition is coming from. He ends up going to India. This is the James Bondy bit, isn't it? Where they're popping around everywhere and trying to get in yes. invitations to see... Yes, we get we get pillar to post. We get wild goose chase around the world: India, Russia, Norway. That's one aspect of this movie. He meets Robert Patterson, playing uh, this. I don't know why he had that contact. Perhaps it's through the Tenet organization, or maybe it's a CIA contact that he had. But it's uh, like an agent guy who's stationed himself in Mumbai. I think they're in. He worked with him to get in to see this weapons dealer. The weapons dealer tells him that. 
they got the ammunition from a Russian arms dealer called Sator, played by Kenneth Branagh. And That's then right, they yeah. have to figure out a way to meet Sator. And they do that by going to see Michael Caine, who works with I was going to say, Michael Caine is in this movie, yes, yes. He's so old, I think, that he's actually reading the words one by one. <laughs> he gives him a fake Goya in a Harrods bag, which he can use to get in with Sator's art-dealing wife. Wife, there we go. So at this point, he meets... Well, they get on the private boat or the private yacht, don't they? Having met the yogic uh, woman who... The Indian woman who's overseeing this. And she's she's got a billionaire Indian mogul husband. And they get on the boat. And at some point, the Russian the Russian arms dealer threatens to, to, kill, to kill our protagonist. And he says, you know, I'm, I'm going to slit your throat and stick your balls in your throat. There's nothing better than watching a man choking on his own balls and trying to rip them out of his own throat as he dies. How is this rated a 12? <laughs> it's just it's the most violent imagery. He's a nasty guy. That's what they're portraying. Mm. Uh, yeah, he proves himself to be pretty nasty. And it transpires that he's storing or going to store this uh, painting in this facility in a free port at an airport. And they want to get in this facility to see whether it's got the ammunition they're looking for in it as well. They're going to crash a 747 into an airport building. <laughs> now, that was impressive. And they, they set up this little heist thing because they've got to deal with the halide uh, fire extinguisher system that will suffoc- suffocate them. And what they find in this facility is this weird... They call them turnstiles, don't they? But it's a, a room with a split down the middle with glass in between. And yes. there's a thing at the end with a rotating kind of doorway in it. This doorway rotates, and out of both sides, at the, simultaneously, this, these masked figures pop, and they have a fight with Neil and, and our protagonist. And it's a weird fight. Obviously, at least one of them is inverted in time, and he's doing weird backwardsy time things. Yes. Now, let me stop you there. This is amazing, this bit. Hold on for one second here. So one of them is going backwards in time. One of them is going backwards in time. But how are they, if, if I'm moving forwards in time, how can I still see him going backwards in time? It makes... I, I, we should only briefly... We should only collide once. You know, as I'm going forward in time, he goes backwards in time. There's only one point when our two times collide. He appears and then carries on going backwards whilst still being visible to me. It's very, very strange. Do you subscribe to the... Maybe I've missed the entire principle here. Do you subscribe to the A theory of time or the B theory of time, Paul? It's a, it's a philosophical Neither, question. But please explain. Well, a theory holds that time is flowing, present is this one th- thin slice of existence, and ahead of us is future and behind us is Okay, past. so obviously this movie does not prescribe the No, and indeed science doesn't either, because according to special relativity, we know that there isn't one simultaneous now moment everywhere. Now is relative, depending on your movement and your relative velocities and stuff. It seems that sure. Okay, so let's assume that let's assume let's assume I can see his time and he can see my time. Why would sometimes that the because the, uh, towards the end, you know, two two armies of time collide? Do they not in this movie? And we see some of them running backwards and some of them not running backwards. Yeah, and this is my biggest problem. Is there's one point where they're chasing each other down a motorway. The other car is going backwards in time. Now, let's assume that it stays visible to the cars moving forward in time. But it's reversing down the motorway on the same side. And that's very strange. 
because that would imply if the time was going forward, it would be driving down the wrong way down the motorway, but keeping pace with two cars going up the motorway. Uh, yes, I do see what you're saying, except that what you've forgotten is that when he's in reverse and he's driving forward, yes. the other cars will, to him, look as though they're driving backwards. So he can drive his car forwards and keep pace with the other cars that appear to be driving backwards. <laughs> but why is one of them in reverse? I mean, why why are they not all facing the same way? I mean, it's because so only one of the because only that one car is reversed, right? And and the driver is reversed. That all of the other cars in the carriageway are all not reversed. <laughs> why does he just turn his car around? I don't understand. It's so strange. Because then he would have to drive in reverse, wouldn't he? I'm just going to reverse at the motorway. (laughs) Anyway, so it it does provoke lots of confusing moments like this. Like, what's going on exactly? And people, you know, moving backwards and jumping back up to where they started off, etc, etc, etc. Which is kind of, it's very good to watch visually, I think. It's it's interesting. It's amazing, man. It's totally amazing. And of course, must have taken so much planning. Absolutely. The... This is the thing about this film, the uh, achievement of writing and storyboarding and filming this is absolutely stunning. According to what I've read, the actors did many of the scenes, both forwards and backwards, including the lines. Wow. Because the idea is that we watch the same moment from several perspectives through the movie. Is that not the idea? And yeah. it, it's not that they just reverse the cam, reverse reverse the, the movie. It's you see it from different perspectives, happening either backwards or forwards. Yeah, and some um, of the characters that's what you're supposed to get. Some of the characters are inverted, and therefore they're going forwards through a backwards world. But then, obviously, from the other character's perspective, they're going forwards, and it's the other person going backwards through a forwards world. So. I think, you know, to get the most of this, you have to get the most out of this movie, you have to realize that it's replaying the same sequence several times from different time perspectives. And I just didn't get that at all. I just thought it was all new scenes, you see. If I didn't get it, I'm pretty sure that many other people wouldn't have got it either. It is a movie that obviously sort of demands being seen more than once. One of the cool things about it is it, it's a detail, a scientific detail of the way that this technology works that if you are inverted, you need to carry oxygen with you to go outside because, and you need inverted oxygen with you because if you are inverted, <laughs> oxygen won't work. Oh, stop. Well, it stands to reason, right? Because your body is working in reverse. So you would try to breathe oxygen in, but you can't breathe real oxygen because it would come out of your blood. It would osmose the other way. Right. So you have to have inverted So oxygen. in this infinitely... In this in this world where entropy is infinitely inverted, are we are we saying that all atomic structures are kind of mirrors? Well, of themselves? we see that objects behave in the opposite way that what what you would expect. So the gun, when fired, when he pulls the trigger, it, it comes back to the gun, doesn't it? Or just before he pulls the trigger, in fact. And when he holds his hand over the object, they fly up as if he's dropped dropped them in reverse. Every good spy movie needs a buddy. To help the protagonist. And the buddy here is Hugh Grant 2.0. Yeah, Robert Pattinson. And he does a great job. And he's a really key character. In fact, he explains the bit of science that I was going to get excited about explaining on this movie. Because he talks about Feynman's concept Mm. of antimatter being normal matter reversed in time. In his Feynman diagrams. Wow. There is a theory that I think Feynman posited tongue-in-cheek, perhaps. More in jest. But it has a real... It sort of could be true, which is that 
because all particles are indistinguishable of a given kind, you know, all electrons are the same, and because a positron behaves exactly like an electron in reverse time, there's a theory that Feynman posited that there is only one electron, and it goes forwards in time, and then it comes backwards in time as a positron, and then it goes forwards in time again. And that's exactly what Neil describes at one point in the film. It's cute. That's interesting, and that's of course what you get. You wind now, up. With... I have a problem. I have a problem. I have a okay. problem with this movie. The, the 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 scientist sidekick is portrayed very positively here. Yes. So he's very alpha, is he not? He's very good at doing jumping and kicking and and that kind of thing, whilst being, whilst having a, a an MA. In You're saying that's apparently. completely unrealistic. <laughs> no, I'm saying it's patronizing, isn't it? You know. Oh. I have a problem with it, you know. We know physics, physicists can be great athletes. We don't need confirmation of that. <laughs> Again, the inclusivity and diversity board have, have, you know, come in on this and scripted and scripted somebody to be not be like their characters from the Big Bang Theory. Right, I see. I knew, I knew you'd have a problem with the race of the lead character. Oh, I didn't say anything about the race of the lead character. Huh? <laughs> you don't have to, Paul. I'm reading between the lines. No, I'm talking about the... I'm talking about... And there's a female soldier as well. Oh, heavens. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here we go, this old... <laughs> This old nutshell. No, no, I, th- I thought it was a very balanced balanced cast racially. We had an Indian, we had a black person, and lots of white people. It was still a very white English movie, though. You can see that Christopher <laughs> Nolan is an English no, show. it was, yeah, 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 it was, yeah. But, you know, he's he's well, one of... Play, you know, we, we don't get many English people directing movies these days, so... <laughs> we did have a strong female role in terms of the Indian mogul, or guru, who was that, kind of had the... Who, who was kind of controlling all this, yeah. Uh, what was thankful is we didn't get we didn't watch her spending all her time at university graduating in order to understand all this. So I don't think it was patronising in terms in, towards women. You know, she was just in a position of power and presented as such. So I didn't I didn't to surprise you, Richard. I didn't have a problem with uh, how the women were portrayed in this movie at all. Wow, one of the amazing bits of exposition that again is delivered in you know ten seconds is when the rescue squad turn yes. up, led by you know the. That those time army guys show up, led by Ives. Yes, the time armies, yes. The colliding time armies. This is actually the first time the protagonist goes through into the other side and, and inverts himself. Yes. And at this point, as they're going into that big turn uh, turnstile thing, which is big enough for a car, I don't know if you noticed. Yeah. Uh, as they're going through that turnstile, Ives points through the glass and says, only enter if you see yourself leaving, which is... Get, that gave me goosebumps. That's such a cool concept. It is. I mean, there are lots of nice big concepts happening here. Now then, I did have a problem with, with the exposition they gave about how... There's there's a question of predetermination, isn't there, involved here? Yeah. Completely, so, yeah. It's like, you know, in The Matrix, where where uh, Neo gets to starts to manipulate The Matrix. There's an idea that you can manipulate this time, yeah, but you've just got to feel it, is what they say in this movie. You, you've just got to feel it. Don't try and fight the confusion. Just feel it, and you can change what happens, kind of thing. And they start talking about pushing against... We, us, pushing against the environment. And it's as if people acting in a time reversed environment can be can overpower the time environment kind of thing and i found this very troubling this one exposition is is the idea that somehow time can recognize people and the environment they occupy which i thought was a bit silly really i think i think what they're trying to do there is explain away some of the bigger potholes related to time he says at one point something about it's like pissing in the wind 
So the idea yes. is these yes. inverted it was objects. At that point, yeah. These, these inverted objects, they have, as you were describing, I suppose, they have their sort of local entropy inverted. But the world itself is still moving with normal entropy sort of forwards. And these little objects that are being inverted have got, are in some ways, are going upstream. They're, they're going against the, the flow. I think this is an effort to explain problems. Like, you know, when Neil and the protagonist first go into that, that vault and they see the first turnstile that they've ever seen. Certainly. In the Freeport, yeah. Yeah. And there's bullet holes in the windows. The protagonist correctly as- asserts that these bullet holes haven't happened yet, as it were. You know, the thing that causes them hasn't happened yet. And of course, subsequently, the reverse time guy pops out of the turnstile. He unshoots his gun and those bullet holes disappear <laughs> as the bullets get drawn back into yes. that gun. That, that raises the question as to how long those bullet holes have been there. And was that whole place built and installed with those bullet holes in place? Yes. But I think the explanation is, even as you look at them there, I think they... They are they are growing or something or shrinking depending which way around you're looking at it. So I think it over time, yeah. or if you over reverse time, they would have disappeared as it were. But they they were there when Neil and uh, and the protagonist walk in. And I think the explanation for that is this idea that the global flow of entropy is still in one direction. What do you think about the background music, Richard? Oh, just as a side point, I thought it was really good. I thought it was good in the action scenes, but I thought there were many times... I think you're about to say what many have said online, which is that it drowns out the dialogue. Yeah, well, it's not just that. There's a lot of it trying to... Specifically, music that's obviously trying to build tension, like, uh, as they're talking kind of thing, when nothing is happening. (laughs) No No action occurs near to this music. So I thought there's a lot of extraneous music that didn't need to be there. But in the main in the main action sequences itself I thought I think some of it is sort of backwardsy. It feels like some of the bits of it are, are played backwards, which is natural enough, isn't it? Wow. Could be wrong, but it sounded that would be nice attention to detail if you'd actually done that, yeah. I also love cool. the colour design of the you know the room with the turnstile one side is blue and one side is red. Uh, just to kind of let you know whether you're going forwards or backwards. It's Cute. <laughs> I mean, he obviously put some thought into saying how can we make this naughty idea accessible to to the largest audience possible. I just don't think he put enough thought into that. You see, is is my one main criticism of this movie not not the action which is great and not the plotline which is really good. But maybe you, know, you really don't involving. need to worry about it. Maybe you just nice enjoy it as a James Bondy heisty movie. Ah, yeah, and it does work very well on that level. It, it is a really good uh, spy rom. You know, really mid-position, I think, between Mission Impossible and James Bond, really. Yeah, yeah. And that's an achievement. Did you ever watch Octopussy? Oh, yes. And she's got an octopus in a tank. <laughs> and the octopus does something to illustrate Octopussy's nature. I think he needed more of that. He needed more metaphorical explainers of what was going on, just to really help us along. Paul, I've explained that Sator, the Russian, which is Latin for, like, farmer or seed planter or something. He's the guy who finds yes. the thing digging in the soil, isn't he? Looking for plutonium. He finds the message from the future that explains how you do the inversion. So it, it, yes. it's like farming. And he yes. plants the seed of building the inverter so that ultimately he'll be... It's all very clever, I think. Yes, it is very, very clever. But I think to understand all this, you'd have to crawl along with a Zimmer frame. <laughs> uh, and press pause. 
lots of times, <laughs> yeah, for most people. So that's my problem with it. Also, do they have radio communication between two time two time valences? Ah, they do, don't they? Well, the thing is, you'd speak backwards. That's a big problem for me. Yeah, but I think they've got radios that can reverse it. Because when Sator is okay. speaking to him from the red, blue room to the red room, I think Sator is speaking in reverse, and then somehow they electronically reverse it so it can be heard. Okay. So, well, I've complained enough now, haven't I, really? I've said everything I want to say about this movie, really. Well, we have to give it scores then, don't we? It was an enjoyable romp, and the science is great, uh, and the ideas are very engaging. My only real concern, as I've said several times now, is, is I think he pitched it a little bit above a general audience, really. Let's start with the acting. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I thought the acting was good. Very competent. No real complaints. Uh, Kenneth Branagh, uh, his accent was annoying at times. I have to say, his Russian But actually, I thought he played it pretty well. He didn't. It wasn't a pantomime villain. No, it wasn't Hammy. No, no, no he was scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The lead guy, uh, I can never remember his full name. It's JDW, isn't it? They call him all the time. Uh, he was in Black Klansman as well, wasn't he? I thought, thought he was excellent, yeah. and he kicked ass. He was very good, very crisp. I think the only thing that area fell down was not him, but the script writing. They tried to give him some Roger Moore style witticisms, and it didn't really fit with with his with his character. Yeah, uh, but that's not his problem. That's somebody else's problem. I think. Christopher Nolan obviously uh, sort of wants to do a Bond movie. In in some ways, Inception was, yes. was an attempt to do a Bond movie. In some ways, I'm sure he could do a Bond movie. Probably, it's he's now well beyond that. I, I guess, but. Yeah, you're right, though. But overall, for acting, I would give this an 8. I'm going to give it an 8.5. Okay. We can talk about the science. Well, I mean, I think this, this, this movie really embraced science in a big way, didn't it? In maybe too big a way. This is the problem. Yeah, lots of really fabulous ideas involved here and very well rendered. So I have to give it really a 9 on the science. Wow. I mean, listen, I, I love this movie, but I think... The science, I, I think it's all in the service of the, the neat trick that Nolan wants to do. You know, yes. I, I think there are plot holes. I think there are paradoxes that are not easy to see or resolve. He does the big ones, as you say. He, he links everything up very well. Like, for instance, here's, here's a plot hole. I think we have to infer that the car that he's driving down the motorway must be an inverted mm-hmm. car, I think. It must have gone through that big turnstile in those rooms. Yes. But if that's so, the car would need to have oxygen as well <laughs> because normal air wouldn't it would, re- yes. respirate the car. Petrol would not work how it normally works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there are holes. So there we go. There are some holes. For that reason, I can't do a nine. But for engaging my particle physics brain a bit, I'll give it a seven for science. Yeah, good score then. Yeah. Now, how about the action, which I think is really what this movie was selling itself on? And the special effects? Yeah, let's do action and the special effects together. Yeah, that's a very wise move, because uh, according to things I've read, Tenet has fewer special effects shots than most romantic comedies. Almost all of it was done in wow. camera, you know, for real. For real? Yeah. I mean, obviously, they had so to reverse effects the, rather the than special effects, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, well, rather than CGI, yeah. Wow. It's all real stunts. The action starts in the first, you know, in the opening section, and it never really lets up. It's absolutely breathless. And if you like that, obviously you'll love it. For that reason, then, I'm going to give this, for our action and special effects, I've got to give this a nine. Okay, it's going to be a six and a half for me. That's low. 
What disappointed you then? Do I need to justify that score? Well, you don't have to, but it is a podcast. I mean, we we could just give scores out, couldn't we, on a <laughs> on a tweet? <laughs> Uh, I thought, again, in a similar vein to modern Avengers movies, the action was too continuous. No time to breathe. There was no time to breathe, yeah. In terms of the Andante and the Allegro moments, there, was, there wasn't really that feeling of symphony, was there? It was just a lot of noise. Ironic for a film that starts with an opera. <laughs> so, yeah, six and a half for me. But I can't really knock the effects, special or not. I mean, they are really stunning. Worth seeing just for those, probably. We've got to talk about script and storyline then. Yeah, I think this is where it falls down for me. I'd have to give it a five. No way. I think the masterpiece achievement of scripting this story, this interlocking, you know, timey going in two directions story, it's amazing. Uh Look, there are pacing problems, I grant you. There are some plot holes. There are big exposition problems. Yes, I, I didn't like the way he was recruited at the start. Couldn't really get my head around it. They said it had all been a test, but which bit had been a test? Surely those nasty Russians were really nasty <laughs> Russians. The, no, those are real people, weren't they? So yeah. the test was that they gave him a fake suicide pill. That could have backfired, couldn't it? And it wasn't his anyway. It was the guy in front of him, because his got taken off him. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think back now to uh, computer games of the mid-1980s and uh, Ultimate Play the Game released something like Attic Attack. And, of course, you had several hundred times to play it, and what you would do is slowly draw yourself a map of the whole game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think this is what this movie needs. You know, I certainly can understand this movie, and I can, you know, and, I, and then I will be able to pinpoint the areas that I have problems with being my problem or the movie's problem, but only if I build a map of this movie and watch it several times, yeah. It's just not something that's made for cinema, I don't think. And this is my problem with the plot and the scripting, is this isn't how you present these ideas, in a 150-minute movie. And that's why I give it a five. Because it didn't come with a map. It is in love with the whole gimmick of reversing time. A lot of the movie is in service to getting that on screen. And it doesn't care if the, if, if, it doesn't care if the viewer gets confused by it. It just carries on with it. It's indulgent. Sure. It needs to be downscored because of that. But I've never seen anything quite like this on film. True. It's so amazing that I've still got to, for all those faults... And for for the fact that it bends over backwards to do what it wants to do without regards to you, really, I still got to give it an eight because it's a spectacle that's just unparalleled. I know, but I think I've scored in other areas to represent that. You see, so fair enough. Really, going to have to be swinging on 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 this final score. It's a five. What would you score, Richard, in terms of plot, dialogue, and script? Eight. I'm going to give it an eight. Wow. Look. Look at that end battle. Gosh. That look. The whole idea of these temporal pincer movements where you send a squad back in time to go through the events the other way, and then when you meet up with them, they can tell you what's going to happen. It's amazing. Yeah. You don't think so? It is amazing. Do you know what my thought on this was? I I, I kind of crystallised this thought. You know, it's you know after Avengers and the Avengers multiverse and the new Star Wars multiverse, where movies collide and whole movies have to make sense to each other or don't, depending on what kind of fan you are and whether you want to discover those movie holes rather than plot holes, those those holes that exist between different movies in a franchise. After we're living in a post Avengers multiverse world, and I thought this was. You know, this is Christopher Nolan's take on that. This is a huge, expensive Fabergé egg of a movie. The detail here, in terms of creating that egg... Exquisite. ...is artisanal perfectionism. It's exquisite, yeah. But, ultimately, 
it's just a little egg that doesn't do very much. <laughs> you know, when you, when you spend all your money on a Fabergé egg, it's just something you can sit on your desktop, yeah? And I thought this was quite similar. You know, he goes to all this detail recreating these time, these battles between time armies. Um, well, that's exquisite, but ultimately, the fact that he's gone to the detail of representing it and the realisation of this, it was such cinematographic authenticity and veracity. Does it really change the kernel of the movie? It doesn't, and that was my problem with it. He's, he should have spent more time... Because, I mean, it's underpinned by brilliant central ideas. He should have spent more time with the exposition of the quite brilliant ideas that underpin the movie, you see. And that's my problem. It's too much of a Fabergé egg. It's not enough of R2-D2 giving us a holographic projection of Overall, what's going on. Overall, the score is... Overall, I don't know if to give it 7.5 or 8. I'm really stuck. I'm going to say 7.5 because I'm I'm grumpy. I'm going to give it a 9. Oh, that's quite... I, I was expecting a 9.5 from you there, Richard. It does have its problems. I'd love to see another movie. I don't know whether Nolan would be up for that. But I'd love to see more of this. Well, exhausting to make, I imagine. I'm sure it was, yeah. I'm sure it was. But they do hint at the end that Neil and JDW have had a you know, much longer relationship. And there may be more time stuff in that. I don't know. They're approaching. They're approaching from different directions in time, aren't they? Oh. Isn't that the conclusion we're supposed to? One of them is actually coming from another time. time Let me balance. tell you, this is a big spoiler. You know, there is a fan theory that Neil is actually Max, the son of Sator and and the, the lady. Yes, that would make sense. And he says, "If I ever find you, because they they have to go their separate ways, they can't really collide again, can they? If I ever find you, I'm going to have to kill you, kind of thing. Uh, let's hope they're not nano chipped, because then it would be quite easy to find each other, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Did I you not understand the end, the finale, particularly the bit around the bomb? Not really, no. Oh, okay. It is a movie I'm going to watch again. You okay. have to then, because let me explain it. It might amaze you." So, you know, they go down to the cage where that bomb is being prepared, JDW and Ives. The door is locked, if you recall. And there's a guy, one of their guys is on the floor, apparently dead. And the camera keeps focusing on that bit of thread, that cord that's on the backpack. That only becomes relevant later on, where you see that Neil wears a backpack with a little bit of red cord attached to the back, like a motif. So we conclude... That the yeah. dead guy in the cage is Neil. And that's because when he figures out what's happened and that the thing has been booby-trapped by the, the Russian guy and they're going to be sort of stuck down there. Um, and of course he gets the jeep and puts the chains down to drag them out through the hole. Neil goes back after that is all finished, reverses himself again to before those guys get down into the bomb chamber. He runs down into the cage he gets shot by the Russian so that just at the moment where Sator tells his Russian guy to shoot JDW in the head, Neil is in the chamber and can jump up and the bullet can come out of his head into the Russian guy's gun. And then because he was reversed when he did all of this, he closes the door. He closes the door and locks it. So in reverse, he unlocks it and runs out. And that leaves JDW to get to the bomb and disarm it. Yeah, I know. It's mind-boggling. Wow. <laughs> and I haven't helped explain it to you. This is the point. You can't spoil this movie because it's impossible to explain. Okay, so a definite recommend, I think. You know, average score for the two of us is 8.5. So undoubtedly a very a very good movie to go and watch. It's worth getting out of the house for. 
sort of recommend. It's a long way to come from beyond bad, Paul. It is, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Paul, you must have yeah. been grumpy. And a contemporary movie also. I think it's our first it's our first it's our first contemporary movie. When you say contemporary, movie, what do you mean? They're all in the future, these movies, aren't they? Like <laughs> From somebody's point of view. I'm eagerly awaiting the movie that you have chosen for us to watch this week. Oh. <laughs> oh well I haven't. See, you make it really difficult as well for me. Do you know why? Why? Well, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Okay. Because I've been busy ordering analog magazines on eBay. I've been busy ordering back the back catalogue of analog magazines from (laughs) 1976. Yeah, Children of Dune. I'm going to read it in 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 its original serial format, in magazine format. Okay, you are a glutton for punishment. I mean, I can't imagine bad novel. I can't imagine reading a serialised version of Children of Dune, getting one episode and thinking, oh, I desperately need the next one. That's just, to me, sounds like a great it's excuse. 44 years old. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, so you could, get, you, could, you could get them all in one go. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Well, they're not. They're arriving diff- uh, separately. Uh, January 1976 is arriving next week. <laughs> in the wrong February order. March 1976 <laughs> is arriving in th- uh, April... No, I think yes, I think you're right. April 1976 is arriving first. Oh boy! So that's that's real time travel. 44 <laughs> years old. So no, I haven't actually chosen a movie because I've been I've been busy buying magazines online. How about Sputnik? What is that? I have no clue. I think it's a Russian, understandably Russian movie. Really? I don't know. I don't know what to say about that because I've never heard of it. Yeah. Okay. Let's go for Sputnik. Hang on. It's brand is it new though. Free of charge. Uh, so we can rent or buy on the usual channels. So this week's movie will be Sputnik, Paul. Wow. Okay. Not not cheap though. I noticed. That's <laughs> forty nine. <laughs> cheapskate. Larders never used to be so expensive. It's uh, for you. It's about as expensive as going to the cinema. For me, half as much. It is indeed. Okay, so Sputnik 2020, another another contemporaneous. Thank you. Contemporaneous. And it's time for the music in three, three, two, two, one. one. Thank you. 